welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. All right, friends, if you want to find your seats, that'd be great. I realized at about 11.03, I was standing in the back just chatting, and I'm like, oh my gosh, we have to start church. And then um, I have a lot to say today, and so we're getting right to it. Sound good? If you have your Bibles, find, uh, if, you don't, if you don't know where they are, find them, and then open them to Colossians chapter 1. We'll start there. Uh, I'll also just let you know as you turn, one final reminder, this Wednesday starts our first learning lab of the year. So this year, we're doing three different learning labs. Uh, the first will be in October and November on Wednesday nights, 6.30 to 8.30. This is kind of a deep dive into a particular conversation that actually has a lot to do with what we're talking about today. Uh, Siri Nestigan is going to be with us, and she's going to lead us in a conversation around race and justice and reconciliation and what it means to be a primarily white church. And uh, that is going to be uh, heavy hitting. So if you're interested in that work and you want to take a step towards that, I want to invite you to consider it. You can still sign up. 6.30 to 8.30, Wednesday nights, and then uh, in the winter, in December and January, or sorry, January and February, we have another learning lab that'll be on sexuality, so just what does it mean to be a, a person of faith and a sexual being? How do we live into that well and in healthy ways? And then uh, in, in the spring, in March, and that's going to be April and May, this is all online, so if you're like, dude, get your facts straight, just go to the website. April and May, um, my good friend Christine Osgood is coming and she's leading a, a series on um, holistic faith and what it means to be like a person who's intentional about their spiritual journey and practices that are related to that. So very excited about those things. Um, are you guys ready to rock and roll? Okay, um, I got to be honest, I am a bit nervous about today because I, I feel like I, I said to my, my friends on the internet, my covenant pastor friends, oh, don't pull it, Micah, don't do it. I got to... I got a thread. Pull this thread. It's not good. Leave it alone. I said to my friends on the internet, my covenant pastor friends, like, this is as far as I have ever gone in saying anything about this conversation, which has in part come up from my own learning and growth in this. But, um, you know, when you go out on a limb sometimes, you never know what's going to happen. Like, is that branch going to break? We'll see. <laughs> so here we go. How about that for a setup? Okay, Colossians chapter 1. If you can, please stand. We'll start in verse 19. I will let you in. Paul's written a letter to the church in Colossae. 15 to 20 of chapter 1 is known as the Colossian hymn. Many would argue this is Paul's like pinnacle of theology in terms of his understanding of what God has done through Christ. So this section is like all you need to know about what Paul wants to say in the whole New Testament. Verse 19, we'll jump in. He says this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. He's speaking about Christ, in Christ. And through Christ, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood on the cross. Pray with me. God, this morning as we dive in, uh, give wisdom to the preacher, I pray. Uh, Lord, I, I pray for open hearts, open ears, uh, I pray for your spirit to be at work in our midst, um, doing things that I cannot and saying things that I am not. So we give ourselves to you for the next few moments, trust that you are good, that you are light, that you are love, that you are truth, that you want good things for us and in us. And the Church of Jesus said together, amen. You can be seated. 1492, 
Columbus, of course, sailed the ocean blue. We'll come back to that. Uh, but also, in Ireland, there was a little feud breaking out between the Fitzgeralds and the Butlers, uh, kind of like the Hatfields and the McCoys. The Fitzgeralds and the Butlers both thought that their man had a claim to what they called the Lord Deputy, which evidently was a pretty big deal. The feud breaks out, and um, uh, the tension rises to like an all-out war, where dr- swords are drawn, people are dying, and it gets pretty insane. The Butlers realize that things are getting a bit out of control, and they exercise what is commonly known in, the, in, in this time, I guess that'd be the medieval time, uh, it's called uh, sanctuary. So they find sanctuary in the church. Uh, if you're fighting a war or a battle and you go to the church, you remember when you were playing tag and you went to that spot where no one could tag you? Remember that? That's kind of what was happening, right? Uh, so they go into the church, uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral, into the, what was called the chapter house in the, in the cathedral, and they wall themselves in. They shut the doors, they lock them, and they're safe there. Well, the Fitzgeralds pursue them in, and they, you know, they, they, they relentlessly uh, attempt to get them to come out, promising peace if they come out. And, of course, they're not that naive. So they stay in there, and uh, eventually what happens is uh, Gerald Fitzgerald, the patriarch of the family, uh, begins to, like, hack a hole in the door of the church. And then when the hole is finally complete, he shoves his hand in and through the door, which is where they get the, the, the phrase, if you've ever heard, to chance an arm. He chances his arm, and in an offering of peace, extends his arm into the, the butler's domain inside the, where they could easily whack it off. But as an extension of peace, he says, like, I'm willing to do this. And the butlers realize that he's, they're serious about this, and eventually the, the two families make peace. And this door is still, to this date, on display in the St. Patrick's Cathedral, and it is known as the Door of Reconciliation. A little history for you there. That's free. When I say the word reconciliation, I'm curious what you think. So this is an all-play. If you've never been to Awaken, every once in a while, I'll, you know, descend the podium. I once went to a church in Scotland where there was this giant, like, turret that the pastor like climbed up into and like preached a sermon from and I thought to myself man before I die I gotta get in one of those suckers and just let her rip but today I'm coming off of my giant platform this is an all play question I'd love to know what you're thinking when I say the word reconciliation what comes to mind making peace what else say it again building bridges good what else forgiveness healing Making things whole. Securing what was lost. lost. Anyone from the transepts? They're always so quiet over there. They think we don't see them, but we do. (laughs) Yeah. Deeply politicizing something? Depoliticizing. Very different than what I just said. (laughs) Depoliticizing something. Yes. Okay, reconciliation. A fascinating word with maybe lots of different thoughts and opinions about, depending on where you come from. Last week, David Bailey was with us, and if you were here, we started a little mini-series, of which this is the second and final, before we move into another fall series, uh, on this idea of reconciliation. And uh, David encouraged us to think about this word, and he argued that not every church should be ethnically diverse, per se. However, every church should be a reconciling community. He said, you can, you can attempt to get ethnic diversity and misreconciliation. But that's not the gospel. That's not the church. One author I was studying this week was, was arguing that 
this word reconciliation is the dominant narrative metaphor in the New Testament for the work of God in Christ. He says this is, the, this is absolutely Paul's lens through which he sees the work of God in Christ. I'm going to argue that that's true. Not only that this is the dominant metaphor for the work of God in Christ, but also that anyone who follows Jesus and therefore any church that claims the name of Jesus should be about reconciliation. Now to do that, we're going to look at three passages. Colossians 1, which we just read, and then 2 Corinthians 2, and then, or, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5 and Ephesians 2. And we're going to look at those three passages, all letters that Paul has written to churches in uh, the ancient world where he uses this word reconcile, reconcile or reconciliation. Now, um, it's important that we understand what Paul is actually meaning when he's saying reconciliation or the words that get translated reconcile. So if you didn't know, the New Testament's written in Greek and the word that gets translated reconcile is this word right here, apokatalasso. Say that out loud, apokatalasso. That's a fun one, right? Uh, it's a compound word. It's made up of three different words and they are as follows. Apo, which means of separation, so it's to separate something that was made whole or that was together, that was united. It's when that thing is separated, apo. Kata, according to or toward, along. So it's speaking of movement towards something or along the lines of something. And then alasso, which is according or towards change, to exchange one thing for another or to transform, right? So you put all those three together, and this is Dr. Reverend Micah Witham's definition. Uh, just Reverend, I'm not a doctor, I'm just messing with you. I always love it when people get their names up there under quotes, you know, like someday people might, no, probably not. So I'm just going to do it while I'm here. <laughs> to reconcile then, I would argue, is to move toward, return or make whole, two things that have been separated or divided. To reconcile. Remember where we started, Colossians 1. For God was pleased to have all of God's fullness dwell in Christ, and in Christ God is, through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things in heaven or on earth. This is what Paul says God is doing in Christ. Reconciling all things. Now, the Greek word for all things, it's very technical. It's pas, and it means all things. <laughs> like nothing's left out. So it's not just about souls. It's not just about you. It's not just about America. It's not just about any one person. God chooses to have all of the fullness of God dwell in Christ, and in Christ, God is reconciling, bringing all of the things that have been broken, torn apart, separated, together, whether in heaven or on earth. Everybody tracking so far? Okay, we're, we're going we're to build some theology here. So that's the first building block. This is what God is doing in Christ, reconciling all things, whether in heaven or on earth. So now let's see what those two things mean as Paul works them out. What does he mean when he says God is reconciling all things, whether in heaven or on earth? Let's take heaven first. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul writes this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to God's self through Christ. So this is what God is doing in the spiritual world, in the heavenlies. That God is reconciling us, humans, to God in relationship. Then he says, Christ has given us the ministry of reconciliation. 
that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and then has committed us to the ministry of reconciliation. We are therefore, this is why I argue that every church should be about this, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through you, through me, through the church. So Paul says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, all right? We start with Colossians 1. What's God doing? God's reconciling all things to God's self through Christ, whether they be in heaven or on earth. In heaven, the spiritual world, our relationship with the divine. What is Paul saying in, in 2 Corinthians? That in Christ, God has done something to take what was separated, torn, broken, and offered a way by which those two things could be brought back together. How has that happened? Christ. The death and the resurrection of Jesus. Tracking so far. Now, truth be told, in evangelical land, this gets most of the airplay. Why? Because it's about us. <laughs> it's about me, right? And I love it when people talk about me. We love it when people talk about us. We love to sing songs that say, I, me. Do you ever notice that? It's not that this isn't untrue. This is true. This is what God is doing in the heavenlies, right? In the heavenly, God is reconciling all things, whether they be in heaven God, the relationship between the divine and humanity is a very important one. And in Christ, God has offered the means by which we can be reconciled, brought back together, what was torn, separated, mended, right? Unfortunately, it often becomes a very individualistic gospel then, if that's all we talk about. If that's all that's happening in the cross, in the atonement, in the work of Jesus in resurrection. And I don't think that that's not true, but I think it is way more than that. Can I get an amen? So that's as much as I'm going to say about that today. Now, let's move on to the earth. What does Paul mean when he says, whether it be he things in heaven or on earth? What is God doing to reconcile that which is on earth? Like, you know, here and now, temporal, um, flesh and blood, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul begins to work out what he means when he says all things, whether in heaven or on earth. But now, in Christ Jesus, you were once far away, you who were once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law and its commandments and regulations, his purpose, Christ, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in, uh, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. So, my friends, if 2 Corinthians, Paul's working out the heavenlies, Ephesians, he's working out what's happening on the earth. What does it mean that God is reconciling you and I by saying that, to those who received this letter first, there were two groups of humans, Paul says. To, those, to, the, to the Ephesians who lived in Ephesus, he says, listen, there's two groups of you. And in between the two of you, there is a dividing wall of hostility that keeps you from being together, that keeps you separated, that keeps you from being one body, one new humanity. Well, guess what? The work of Christ is to take down that wall brick by brick and to bring together that which has been separated. So the million-dollar question is, along what lines have things been separated? In the ancient world, if you don't know the Bible very well, you will know, uh, I'll tell you the answer to that question, and that is Jews and Gentiles, friends. If you don't believe me, go ahead and read what's uh, preceded Ephesians chapter 2 where we picked up. 
Paul spends a whole bunch of time talking about the difference or the distinction, the, the, the division, the separateness of Jews and Gentiles and how those two groups of people, which are based on cultural and ethnic lines, have been separated. And the work of Christ is to bring those two peoples back together under one banner, one new humanity. So the work of God on the earth in terms of reconciliation is about bringing two groups of people who may have been separated, torn apart, where there is a dividing wall, where there's hostility between them. Christ is about demolishing those barriers, getting rid of those things so that those people can be one under Christ. That should be good news. Amen? My question to you this morning is this. Like, is there any need for the work of God to be about uh, repairing division along religious, ethnic, cultural, maybe we could add in our own 2019 uh, vernacular, racial barriers? Like, is, is there any need for that work to be done? Oh, no, we're good? If you don't say yes to that, you live in like Antarctica, or a hole in, like a hobbit, you know? Like in the woods there was a hole where there once lived a hobbit. It's a great opening line, but uh, friends, if this is not the world that we live in, where we divide ourselves based on race and class and ethnic and cultural barriers or differences and distinctions, I think you may have an inaccurate reading of the world. So, If Paul is saying that the accomplishment of Christ and his death and resurrection is the work of God to reconcile separated relationships across religious, ethnic, racial, cultural boundaries, then I think he might have something to say to us this morning about what it means to be the church and to be about reconciliation. Amen? N.T. Wright says this, Today's church, he's a New Testament scholar, very brilliant on many things. Uh, Today's church may no longer face the question of the integration of Jew and Gentile. So you might be thinking, Micah, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. We might not face that today, bringing these two groups of people into one family, though there are still places where this is an issue. But we face quite urgently, he says, the question which Paul would insist is a major priority. If our churches are still divided in any way along racial and cultural lines, he would say that our gospel, our very grasp of the meaning of Jesus' death, is called into question. This is not secondary to the gospel. This is not ancillary. This is not social gospel. This is not the liberal agenda. This is true gospel good news. Amen? That in Christ, God is reconciling all that has been torn apart into one where there is unity and togetherness, this is what Jesus is up to. So friends at Awaken, any person who follows this Jesus, I want to argue, therefore is invited to work, into this work of reconciliation. In fact, Paul says, you, we, have become ambassadors for this work, as if God is making his appeal for reconciliation through you and I. So for a church, if we're not talking about this and what it means in our, in our day and in our setting, we're, I would argue we are missing a giant part of the good news of the gospel. That's why I'm here. That's why we're doing this. That's why I'm talking about this this morning. One of my good friends, uh, Brenda Salter McNeil, she's a covenant pastor out on the West Coast, she says this, reconciliation is an ongoing process involving, get this, forgiveness, repentance, and justice that restores broken relationships, and systems 
to reflect God's original intention for all of creation. Now, everybody take a deep breath. I need your eyes. Church, as your pastor, I love you. I want good things for you. I want to be a leader of integrity who is understanding and awakening to the good news of the gospel in my life and in our church. So where we're about to go now may be hard, but I want to offer like some specific examples, some practical thoughts about what does it mean for us as a church to engage in this conversation, okay? Now, if you're getting nervous, good, because this is, this really matters, and it impacts our very lives and the, 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 the way in which we show up in the world. But I'm going to ask you, like, you know me, you trust me, those of you who have been here before, so, like, we can have good, deep theological conversations. Can we do that? Right? That's what I'm training you to be able to do. So if we can't, then I have failed you. And for that, I am terribly sad. But I think you can do it. So here we go. Okay, enough caveats. Um, Part of my job as a pastor is to offer you opportunities of growth and discipleship to the people that are in front of me. One of my good friends in seminary gave me great advice. He said, Micah, pastor the people in front of you. Uh, I don't know if you've looked around lately, but Awaken is a majority white church. Like, by that I mean, the majority of people who attend this space identify culturally and racially as white. So I'm just going to take this opportunity for a moment, if I may, to speak specifically to you. So to the people of color in the room or who attend our church, who listen on by podcasts, like, I see you, uh, I know that you're here, I'm not ignoring you. But I'm taking an opportunity to speak to something that I think is really important to a large group of people in our church. I hope that, as I do, you don't feel unseen or left behind or left out, but rather that like you're in my corner saying, yes, thank you for saying that. I recognize that you might not be saying that, and you might be ve- I might not see something the way you see it or hear something the way you hear it. I may step in it. I may make a fool of myself and say something really stupid, and I might offend, and I'm still going to go for it. I'm still going to risk in this moment of doing that because I think that this work matters, especially for a majority white church in America in 2019, okay? Here we go. If I'm wrong, or if I do offend, or if I say something dumb, my promise, like, to you as a church, and especially to the people of color who are call awake at home, like, uh, humility, open hands, big ears, um, soft heart, right? Okay. A few movements I want to invite you to consider as a church. What would it mean for you to be consistently moving towards and on the path from ignorance to educated by remembering and confessing? Here's what I mean. All of us are on a journey. We're all in different places, so I can't assume to know where you are or you to know where I am. But can I invite you, wherever you are, to be on a path of moving from less information to more information? from uninformed to informed, from disengaged, that being the worst, to engaged, that being the best. Can you, will you, can I invite you to think about being on that path as a part of your discipleship by remembering and confessing? What do I mean by that? One uh, author writes it this way. There can be no healing and reconciling if two groups of people continue to remember the events of the past differently. 
I'm going to say that again. There can be no healing or reconciling, which is what God is up to, if two groups of people remember the events of the past so differently. Friends, if people of color in our church, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, remember the past so differently than the majority white culture remembers our past, there can be no reconciliation. There's no hope for reconciliation because we're not remembering the same things. And I just want to say for a moment, like, can I make an honest observation? Can I say it out loud? As great as this country is, and as many things as we are afforded, and as much pride as we might have in democracy and the American project, we have to be honest about its origin. We cannot continue to pretend like what happened didn't happen. And I don't think all of you do that, but collectively, we've been in that room, right? Can we as followers of Jesus, like, be honest about the fact that our history and our past, as wonderful as it is in some ways, is steeped in, born out of, unjust practices, where we took land from people that were already here. Columbus, here he is. He didn't discover anything except a group of people who already lived here. Can we say that out loud and just be honest about that fact? Can we say out loud that that unjust practice not only took land from those people, but we raped and killed their children? Not you, but collectively, Christians, white Christians, okay? Collectively, we're a part of that. We can't distance ourselves from it as much as we might want to because that's what we are. So can we say out loud that that happened? Can we say out loud that we then enslaved Africans to execute a destiny that we believed was given by God? And it was rooted, listen, friends, the whole project was rooted in a narrative of racial difference. That one's value was determined by the color of their skin. And that narrative, which you may not believe, God, I pray you don't, informed the whole project. And so for us to sit here and believe or think that that narrative, which started the whole thing, doesn't influence our politics and our government and our education and our housing and how we use the land, it just does. Now, gang, again, hear, don't, hear me out. Stick with me. Stick with me. As people who follow Jesus... I'm not saying that you're a racist. I'm not saying that I'm a racist. But we have to be honest that the systems that, that structure our society are steeped in a narrative that is a lie from the pit of hell. Yes? That one's value is based on the color of their skin. A narrative of racial difference. Okay? We, can, we have to, uh, we have to like, oppose that and stand against that wherever and whenever we find that as people who follow Jesus. Yes? So can we do that? Part of our work, I want to argue, part of our work is remembering. And there can be no reconciliation. There can be no healing if we don't remember what actually happened in honest ways. So can we confess that? When we find it alive in me, where I find myself participating in a system where I benefit, I get the benefit of the doubt because of the color of my skin, friends, that's not gospel. That's evil. It's a lie. 
from, like, if Satan is an embodied person, that's where it comes from, okay? So as people who follow this Jesus, part of our work in following Jesus, being about reconciliation, is to stand against those things whenever and wherever we find them. I don't know what that looks like in your life. I don't know if you've ever seen the documentary, Jim, The Jim Crow of the North. Did anybody see that one on PBS? Like, Minnesota and, like, the housing situation in Minnesota. Friends, I would, I, would, I would be willing to bet you that some of you live in houses whose deeds were a part of racial covenants where we would not sell that property to anyone who was black. Like, that happened in our state. We were one of the worst perpetrators of it. Did you know that? So can you move from ignorance to educated? That's all I'm asking. Be engaged. Don't check out. Be engaged and start... Thinking critically, start engaging, being active in your faith and saying, oh, you know what? A narrative of racial difference where someone's value is based on the color of their skin, while I may not believe in that, while I may oppose that theoretically and, and, and intellectually, I might participate in systems that were rooted in, that, that were at best influenced by and at worst directly like benefactors of. So as people of faith, I'm challenging you to like stand up. Put your feet on the ground and think about what it means to be a person of faith living in the day that we live, in the country that we live, where Christ is about dividing the walls that, 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 that or taking down the walls that divide us, right? Not continuing to uphold them. So part of that work for me, and I'll just speak for myself, part of that work for me is being honest and saying, okay, there may be things I participate in day in and day out that are rooted in a narrative that is a lie, and as a person who follows Jesus, like, I have to say no to that. I have to stand against that and, and oppose that whenever I can in whatever way I can that I have agency in. Amen? Now, to those of you that I haven't offended yet, uh, if you're interested in moving towards this work at all, if you think that I'm, I'm like, not blowing smoke here and that Jesus, that this is part of the gospel work that we do, um, I'm going to let you in on a little secret, and that secret is this. The muscles that are required to do this work, I'll speak for myself, are not operating at peak performance. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was currently training for a marathon. Bad news, I have a stress fracture in my right leg. My doctor's like, you should not run the marathon. If you do, you're an idiot. That's another deal. But I'm like, in, other than the stress fracture, I'm at peak performance, friends. I am ready to run the marathon. But like, the muscles that are required to engage this work in me are not operating at peak performance. Here's what I mean. I went to yoga the other day with my wife at the YMCA. It was a combo, yoga and Pilates. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, all the, they're all the, I, I got mostly uh, female feedback right there, but maybe some of you men have done Pilates, and you know, that's a killer, man. There's something called Pilates 100, where th there's this move that you keep coming back to where you're like on your back, and you lift up your legs, so you engage your core, and then you lift up your head, and then you do this, kind of thing. To which when we started, I'm like, what are we doing? And then the more we did it, I was like, oh, dang. <laughs> that is, like, killing. Like, I am just burning right in here. And, and it was awful while I was doing it. But here's the thing. When I woke up the next day, I, like, bumped my neck, and I was like, oh, my gosh! I felt like someone had punched me in the neck. Because the, the muscles required to do that move, I had never used <laughs> And evidently, these ones right here are really necessary to do that move. And so, they were very tender, and they were very, very sore, 
because I had not worked them out, right? I, didn't ha I hadn't built up resiliency in those muscles required to do that move. There's a very good chance that if you are serious and interested about following this Jesus and moving towards this work of being involved in reconciliation and justice and race, that the muscles required to do that work haven't been activated. Maybe. And so, fair warning. Like, as your pastor, I started and I said I love you. I'm, I'm like throwing that out there because what's really predictable is when often when people like me get involved in this conversation, I say, oh gosh, I'm so tired. Like, this is exhausting. I feel like I need a breath. Like, I need to just take a breather. And what did I just do? I moved away. I stepped back. At best, I step back and I take a breather. At worst, I just disengage. And I don't do the work anymore. Why? Because it's hard. Because it stresses my body and my mind. Many would say that what I've done in that moment is exercised privilege. Because I can step away. I can take one step back and I don't have to think about that reality. Because when I walk into a store, no one's looking at me and checking where my hands are if they're in my pockets. Because I'm a white man. So, church, can I invite you, last movement I want to invite you, to move from fragility to resilience. It is really exhausting as I talk to my friends, especially my friends of color in, in, involved in the church because that's the world I live in. It's really exhausting for them. They, they, they give me this feedback that, Micah, I'm so, I'm so glad for you, but I got to be totally honest, you're a dime a dozen. A person who says, this is important, we want to do this work, we want to be all in, and then like the moment it gets hard, everybody just takes two giant steps back. That's fragility. Robin DiAngelo talks about when we experience race-based stress, which many of us don't have to experience on a daily basis. We don't, we just don't, but when we do, it freaks us out, and it starts activating muscles we have not had to work out, and we get really tired really fast. Daniel Hill, another covenant pastor, wrote this. He was in a, a gathering with a, group, a diverse group of people. This woman is, is like, she's all in, right? Uh, I, I want to be a part of this. They're, they're in it. They're talking about race. They're talking about justice. They're talking about reconciliation. They're doing the work of the gospel. And at one point along the way, she just like raises her hand, and she's just like, oh my gosh, I have to be totally honest. I am so exhausted. Like, this work is so tiring, and I just, like, I want to take a step back, and I want to take a breath, and I just need to say that out loud, and I, and I want to apologize. And one of the people in the group, a person of color, responded and said this, and I quote, I appreciate you apologizing, but we don't need your apology. What we need is your resilience. It's okay for you to feel weak, disoriented, or be unclear as to what to do, but what is not okay is that you quit because of those feelings. I need you to be resilient and stay in the game alongside of us who have no choice but to move forward in it. Whew. So my friends, theologically, I think that I am on really solid ground by arguing that the work of God in Christ is a work of reconciliation, reconciling things in heaven and on earth, and that the things on earth include the, the relationships that are divided and broken along ethnic, cultural, and racial lines. That the work of Jesus 
is to tear down whatever walls divide us in whatever ways they show up and that that work is now being extended to the church, you and me, to be ambassadors of it in the here and now, that we might be a foretaste of what is to come. Amen? So my invitation to you as the church is to, like, if that's true, then that's a pretty big deal. And if we've never engaged in that in your spiritual life, we failed you. I've failed you. Whatever church you've been a part of has failed you because they've missed the gospel. So, what say you? Is this the work of God? Like, is this important to what the good news of Jesus is in the world? That we engage in conversations around equity and race and justice and reconciliation where there has been clearly a dividing wall of hostility between groups of people along all kinds of lines. You can translate this to beyond the one I'm speaking of today, but that the work of God is to tear down those walls. The invitation is to you to help tear down those walls and to help bring together what has been broken. That's, that's the gospel in the here and the now. So, for you, will you commit to being on a journey, a path, from maybe less educated or inactive to more? Whatever one step is, one click, that's all I'm asking, one click. Will you, help, will you begin to remember and be honest? Like, can we stop pretending Christopher Columbus isn't in the room? Because he is. Like, literally and figuratively. <laughs> that's such a great metaphor. And, 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 and can, we, like, can we move from fragility to resilience? Like, let's work out the muscles. And when it hurts, find another friend whose muscles hurts and, like, talk about how bad it hurts and then get, you, get, in, get back in the game. I love you. I want good things for you. And I really actually believe that if, we, if, if this isn't a part of our discipleship, then we have missed a gigantic portion of what the good news of, of Jesus is in the world. That's my conviction. You may disagree with me. You're free to do so. Uh, this is the beginning of a conversation, not the end of one. So that's my invitation for you to consider today. Um, I'm going to pray. Uh, I'm going to invite Dan to come. We're going to close with two songs, uh, the first of which is from Psalm 51, which if you don't know, this is David when he prays to the Lord, like, create in me a clean heart, O God. Like, don't take your spirit from me, but renew it. Like, give it again, afresh. So maybe there's a moment of honesty or confession, and you can sing or you can just hear and listen and let it, use the prayer space if you need, use the kneelers, for crying out loud. That's why they're there. Uh, And then the last song is like a song of together. Can we, um, maybe as that last song is played, can we stand together and sing, like, make us a people of peace. If you're the prince of peace, then we probably could be people of peace. So make it true in me, make it true in us. Pray with me. God, this morning as we take a deep dive into what it means to be a follower of you and a person who represents you and is an ambassador of you, um, I pray for uh, all the people in the room, regardless of where they've come from or what their story is, and I pray that as you would bind us together as one body, with one heart, whatever walls of hostility or division exist in us, that you would tear those down by the work of your spirit and that we would help you do it. Uh, 
And, and when we can't, that you would do what you can do and we can't. Uh, in our communities, in our schools, in our education, in our government, in our policies, in our social systems, in uh, all the ways that we participate as humans, God, help us see. Give us eyes in ways that we haven't had them before, I pray. So Holy Spirit, turn on the lights. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.